From InsureTech Ireland, this is InsureTech Radio. I'm Connor Sweetman. This week's guest is Peter Killian, Senior Executive of Market Operations and Innovation at the Lloyd's Market Association. How are you, Peter? I'm very well, Connor. Thanks so much for having me. Cool. So can you maybe just introduce yourself? You work at Lloyd's Market Association. Uh, what's your background? Sure. So um, I was an underwriter previously before uh, moving to a strategy and innovation role at my previous organization. And then I joined the Lloyd's Market Association probably about 18 months ago. And the LMA exists to further the interests of the Lloyd's managing agent community. So there's 54 different insurance companies that operate within Lloyd's and we represent their interests. We provide technical and professional support and we deliver service and technology initiatives um, so that we ensure that our members' views on key issues are really well represented. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I sit within the operations and innovation team. And what was your interaction with the LMA before you got the role? So the LMA is really well known for the LMA Academy. So they run an um, educational service with really bespoke training for the Lloyd's insurance community. And I've been on a number of their courses. They run something called the Syndicate Business Plan, where you sort of simulate having your own syndicate and producing a return to Lloyd's, which is your plan for your, your business plan for the following year. Uh, which was brilliant. I did that a number of years ago. And then also uh, the LMA runs a number of technical committees focusing on specific classes of business. So when I was an underwriter, I used to be a marine hull underwriter. And the LMA runs something called the Joint Hull Committee. And it's called a joint committee because it doesn't only represent Lloyd's insurance companies. It also works with company market insurers because, you know, the LMA recognise that these issues... Um, are uh, applicable to all insurers, not just Lloyd's insurers. And they do really, really valuable things. Like, for example, uh, a number of years ago, a new convention came in looking at slow speeding of vessels. And that was then causing engines to behave differently because of the fuel being used at different um, speeds. And the LMA then would work with surveyors, independent third parties, to kind of work out where the issues were originating from. And then they came up with a whole suite of new wordings that could be incorporated into insurance contracts. And they put in a load of um, of specifications for ship owners to be able to operate at those different speeds. Um, So we do really like work with our clients in mind as well, the end sort of insurance clients um, in mind. So um, what's your role again? So I, uh, my role's new and I came in as an innovation person at the Lloyd's Market Association. And this was kind of in response to the fact that the Lloyd's Market Association really does represent the functional areas within an insurance company. So we really um, mirror, if you like, the managing agents that we represent. And so we have people who work on finance, on risk, on underwriting, on claims, operations, um, We've got a communications team. And so we had this gap which existed in the innovation space. And it's something that over the last two years, more and more uh, new roles are um, 
becoming available in insurance and some of these things are sort of heads of underwrite heads of innovation heads of digital underwriting um chief data officers that sort of thing which just sort of simply didn't exist in the industry before and we were operating on this assumption that there are lots of people in the Lloyd's market who have really good ideas and and some solutions to problems they see every day in their business lives, which might be applicable to more than just their company. And because of that economies of scale idea, which is you know, how the LMA operates, is that we kind of can operate on behalf of that whole community. And so we thought if people had a good idea that applied to Marine Hull, for example, how could we help them to facilitate that discussion with the wider market and put some of our resource behind it to enable them uh, to achieve these changes? And so that's, yeah, that's why my role came about. Yeah. Um, so that's a new role. So you went from a very traditional underwriting background to head of innovation. Yeah. Well, and so um, I think that all really came about because of the experiences I had when I was underwriting. Oh, yeah? So Marine, Marine Hull um, is, you know, the oldest class um of insurance it's where Lloyd's kind of began um, when people were putting sort of wages on where the ships would make it into port after a voyage that they'd been on and so it's really the origins of Lloyd's um, but it also ha- hasn't necessarily adapted very much over time and so a lot of the data um, that we look at when we're analyzing risks in that class might be dependent on really static data features and I went so um, when you're looking at um, underwriting um, uh, a fleet, you might look at things like what class of ship it is, where its flag state originates from, who the sort of owner is, who the manager is, uh, what age the vessel is, where it's been built, those sorts of features, but not necessarily real-time information about that ship. And I think that's partly because, you know, we as humans, we can't deal with like volumes of information like that mm. and compute it um, in a real-time basis. So I think partly we don't really know how to deal with additional data sources yet, and we're looking into that. But also for me, uh, I went to go and visit some clients in Greece, and they'd experienced a grounding because they'd had to change their whole shipping route because of the shipping crisis. What's the shipping route? So this is in sort of... I guess like 2010 sort of time, there was a huge number of vessels that had been ordered during, um, you know, when shipping was booming, people were ordering vessels to be built, exactly, um, just around the recession. But there was a sort of lag as to when that then affected shipping. And there was a number of things because also the oil price um, changing and all that kind of thing also impacted like the global sort of... um, economy and shipping then had this oversupply of vessels and um so people who used to have a lot of trade didn't have as much trade anymore because there were more ships on the market basically or operating in the market and so a lot of ship owners had to sort of change their their trade and what this particular ship owner had started trading around india and they'd had a, they'd experienced a grounding which was an insurance claim to us, but more importantly, it also meant downtime for them, so they weren't able to continue their trade while the vessel was getting repaired. And there's no business when, element of the, or is it just a property damage claim? Is so it? there is um, a business interruption type of insurance in Marine Hull. It's called loss of hire, yeah. but not everybody buys it. Okay. 
So um, on that particular vessel, they hadn't bought it. And but what they then like, subsequently found out after experiencing that grounding was that three or four other vessels had also grounded in that location prior to them experiencing that, that loss. And I just thought to myself at the time, why can't we know that that's happening mm. and warn and pre-warn you? So although we're not going to say, look, we're not going to insure you if you go along that route, we would still provide insurance. But actually, it's better for you to have the knowledge that if you do go through that area, you might experience difficulty. Yeah. And, you know, they didn't know, we didn't know whether or not, like at the time of that meeting, whether we insured those other three or four vessels who'd also experienced losses. And I just thought there's so much data out there. How do we start tapping into that? Yeah. So at that time, um, I was working at my prior company and I started speaking to the strategy and innovation team about the kind of projects that they were up to. And they were actually um, involved in the um, EY InsureWave blockchain uh, pilot with MESC and that was all about data collection right that really very much started with we can tell you when your vessels enter a war breach zone and then it quickly adapted to what else can we then tell you about the ship and actually for MESC it was all about having an asset directory because they own and manage something like 600 ships probably more than that actually and they wanted to be able to track behaviors of those ships, where they all were at any given time, how the values of those ships might fluctuate across um, a market cycle, um, and and also manage their insurance. Mm. So uh, we uh, worked with them on that. And I think that was also just a time. So anyway, so that company worked with them. And I thought, actually, this is a time for me to try and move into this space because this is where I feel really like passionate about being mm. able to make a difference. And um, so I moved into the strategy and innovation team. And then from there, the Lloyd's Mark Association role came up. And it was such an interesting time because it was just as the Lloyd's Lab was about to launch. And this is the first time that Lloyd's has done anything like this. And I knew that I would be working alongside that team, um, engaging with the managing agents um, to work with some of the startups in the lab. Cool. I am... I, um... I think there'll be a good few people listening who who are listening because they're not sure about insure tech and uh, what exactly is happening in in that whole world. So, uh, what did you do to kind of uh, kind of develop skills around that area before you, uh, or to develop knowledge in that area before you kind of apply for the job, or even as you're transitioning from underwriting into that job? So, um, partly it was through going to Instech London events. So that had sort of just started around that time as well. Um, And they meet on a monthly basis. Um, They have an evening event where they get InsureTechs to come and sort of pitch. Originally it started that InsureTechs came to sort of pitch to the markets about what it is that they do. And what was really interesting as well is that I found a little community of other Lloyd's uh, people who were also going to those events regularly um, and actually funnily enough out of that group two of them have actually left their traditional incumbent roles to go and work for InsureTex. Oh, wow. so one of them is um, Ola Jacob Raji who now works at Flood Flash and the other one is John Rowlands who uh, works at Flock and we used to kind of keep in touch with one another and we used to um, one of the people as well who um, is called Jenny Williams and she uh, previously worked at Axis Excel and now she is going to work at Convex 
she and a couple of others had kind of an acronym for all these new technologies that were coming out as well. So, you know, blockchain, AI, robotics, mm. um, I think it was Trambridge. So we could sort of remember all these things and try and like go and investigate like how those applied to our organizations. Um, and actually Jenny moved into an innovation role at AxXL because they've got um, uh, an internal team, which I think is called Accelerate. Uh, where they looked at really like their main purpose was to enable underwriters to do their jobs better through some of these either in short tech partnerships or new technologies and it was very sort of internal focus and actually also what was really interesting about that is that AxXL added innovation as one of the sort of performance development objectives for their employees and so I think that was a really good sort of lever for the Accelerate team to actually really work with the business because the business realized it was important and it also helped them to populate that bit of their development review. Um, So, yeah, it was really great having that little community of people who were also really like-minded and where we were really trying to sort of um, upskill one another. So we would have... um, Jenny and John started these monthly breakfasts for sort of innovators um, in the Lloyd's market where we used to get together and kind of sometimes have a guest speaker and sometimes just talk about a topic of interest. Um, and I've heard a number of people say actually that, you know, um, innovation can be sort of lonely space um, because it does sort of seem that most people um, are, as you mentioned, kind of not really aware of, um, what the benefits could be um, and also don't even really know what's out there because the, you know everyone has a day job to do and it is hard off the side of your desk to kind of look at what's out there when you don't really know what you're looking for mm-hmm. so um, yeah and I think obviously a lot's changed in those two years because now it is much more mainstream I mean Lloyd's has a, you know a specific lab where they invite 10 uh, startups to join for 10 weeks and they work really hard at like creating mentor relationships with incumbent insurers and you know now people are becoming much more familiar with it but even with that um we've really found that you know you need to invite people and you need to give them a reason to be in the lab um Mm. people aren't necessarily just curious to kind of wander in and see what's going on and i think also it is kind of hard walking into uh, you know an area and kind of not knowing who your first person is that you should go and speak to if it's not clear so um, but they're putting out a lot more digital content on that so people can become more identifiable. Mm. Yeah, I think um, you kind of highlight two really important things. I suppose the first thing is just personal per, uh, personal accountability. You know, you're doing it yourself and you're trying to kind yeah. of go down the go down the rabbit hole as such. Then you also, you also highlighted how companies can um, encourage their staff by putting it in performance object, objectives and things like that. So, um so you mentioned Lloyd's Labs there. Um, so what is uh, your role within Lloyd's Lab? So I am um, part of the working group, which kind of deals with sort of day-to-day issues in the lab. And we sort of curate an events program and kind of just really work on engagement with the market. And also that working group will prob- will work to put together the themes for future cohorts and then the steering group is sort of the decision making capacity where um they make decisions on kind of how budget gets used around the lab and i'm involved in both of those things and i was invited to kind of be involved to represent the markets 
And I've also brought in uh, one of uh, the people I work really closely with on the Market Innovation Group. I brought in the chair of that who is called Jamie Garrett, and he works at Talbot, and he's the head of innovation there. And so he also comes to the steering group meetings uh, to, to kind of represent that perspective from the actual Lloyd's market. And the steering group terms of reference very like explicitly says that the purpose of the lab is for the market. So I go in there to try and sort of... Um, constructively challenge uh, when I think that we might need to kind of be putting the market at the centre of some of the decisions that are made. Can you give me an example, like obviously without Trump, anyone under the bus, but, uh, can you give me an example yeah. of the type of thing that you'd uh, be challenging on? Okay, so very um, good example. Uh, and actually, um, it, it was sort of more consensus than a challenge. But when the lab very first started, they commissioned something called the showcase space, which was on the main underwriting gallery in Lloyd's. And the purpose of that space was that it was sort of a pop-up space that in short from the lab could go downstairs and go and talk about what they were doing in the lab to underwriters and brokers who were coming into Lloyd's to trade every day. However, it wasn't a curated space. So whilst you might have had somebody down there speaking about a quote and bind platform, for example, because we didn't also just restrict it to startups in the lab, we kind of said to anyone who got in touch with the people who run the lab, you can come in and you can be in our showcase space. And what I, as I was previously an underwriter, um, from the moment that sort of launched, for me, I kind of thought, the underwriters and brokers who come into that floor, firstly, are mainly marine and energy underwriters because Lloyd's tends to have sort of a system of grouping similar classes of business um, onto a floor. So that was mainly marine and energy business. And secondly, um, people come in here to, sort of, to, to act, actively trade. So if you're a broker coming in, you're coming in with the purpose of going to see an underwriter to go and place a piece of business. And equally, if you're an underwriter, you're coming in here to see your brokers, right? You're not just there to so you don't, like no, exactly. So you're not necessarily going to just wander over to a space where you don't know who the person is and have a chat. Yeah. And so I thought like, oh, alarm bells, like I'm not really sure this is going to work. And um, Trevor Maynard, who's the head of innovation at Lloyd's, thought that he was sort of working on the assumption that people are really curious and they would just maybe wander over with a cup of coffee when they were kind of queuing for an underwriter who had a queue. Broker might then think, oh, I've got a five minutes to spare. I'll go and chat to these people. But because it wasn't curated, so we never kind of reached out to the relevant community to say, this startup is here and they're relevant to you. You should go and drop in and have a chat to them between these hours. And so it just kind of wasn't working. And then we had some startups in who also then gave feedback saying, we're just really not getting a lot of um, footfall. And so this is, a, you know, we're a lean team. There's only, you know, five or 10 of us and we're spending an entire day standing in this room where we're not getting any take up. Mm. And so we made the decision as this um, working group and steering group of the lab to decommission that space. I think it was there for maybe six months. Um, but it was a really good example of like sometimes you try things and they don't work out. And yeah. instead of kind of just leaving it there, hoping that like it would miraculously turn around, we just thought, actually, this is not the way to do it. And so one of the things we decided to do instead, and I've been working with um, Femi Williams, who's the lab associate, on doing more um, targeted events. So what we're planning in December is to run a session with Conceris, who are a marine shortek, and invite mariners to attend that. Great so it's specific to them. Yeah. 
And so you have a three cohorts have completed the lab. You're on cohort four now. We're well, we're still going with cohort three. So demo day for cohort three um, is in a couple of weeks time. So what's demo day? So uh, the program runs for 10 weeks and over those 10 weeks, the InsurTechs uh, work with their mentors and they might have anything between five and 10 mentors from the market. And to be a mentor, you have to be um, a Lloyd's managing agent. So you have to work for one of the insurance companies that operates in Lloyd's. They also have a role called innovation advisors who are brokers, but an innovation to be an innovation advisor, you don't have to sort of sign any kind of agreement as a mentor. You have to kind of sign an agreement as an organization that you will give up to two hours of your time per week to spend with the InsurTech to help them to develop their products. So all of the InsurTechs come in here with their products and they pitch to a, a series of audiences over one day and then pitch day people in the audience can indicate that they're interested in mentoring and that's all done through an app and so it's all captured so pitch day is at the start is it yes at the start so pitch days at the start no not at the start of the 10 weeks sorry pitch days in advance of the start of the 10 weeks because that's the day that we get to sort of see everyone and they are then voted into the lab if you like so So further narrowing down after pitch day exactly okay exactly so 20 startups will pitch on pitch day and then 10 will be voted in from the audience who attend and then a couple of weeks later i'm not exactly um sure of exact time frames the startups will come into the lab for those 10 weeks and they'll work with their mentors over the 10 weeks and at the end of the 10 weeks they then demonstrate to the market so we have a demo day where they talk about what they've adapted or changed or learned from their time working with their mentors and there's been some just really incredible success stories and actually what was really interesting for cohort two in one of the working group meetings i um one of the things that I suggested and Ed Gay suggested was having, who's the Lloyd's lab manager, was having somebody from the market stand up with that InsurTech at demo day because there's so much power in, in Lloyd's. It's such a community of people. Yeah. There's a lot of power in having somebody from the community actually talking about the success that they found and actually describe data who I know um, they've been guests of yours in the past, uh, they had their mentor stand up with him. And actually what I thought was really funny was that he was just so honest and he said, he stood up, um, can't remember where he works, but anyway, one of the insurance companies and he stood up and he said, you know, everyone's got a little bit of fatigue when it comes to insure tech and innovation. And I was a bit sort of eye rolling about all of this when I got involved at the start, but I've actually been proved so wrong because we've had this like incredible outcome from working with this scribe data. And this is what has been the sort of business implication. And it just made it really real life. And it was really like, it was really honest about the fact that, you know, he, he kind of went into it very skeptical hmm. and came out with a really good result. That's fantastic. Yeah. Um, so you're, so you're talking about, so we have, so that those guys, they have mentors uh, to teach them about yeah. Lloyd's and about kind of, um, in quotation marks, real insurance uh, or how it's actually <laughs> traded at Lloyd's. Um, yeah. So, but what about uh, learning the other way? We spoke about this briefly before the call. Like, how, how can uh, the incumbents and the people at Lloyd's uh, learn from how the startups work? Also, and this is something that I think 
you know, we're really trying to kind of investigate how you make some of the soft, softer stuff and in inverted commas um, carry more weight because it's really difficult to measure some of the cultural implications that come out of these relationships. Um, it's kind of hard to point to it as a success story. But I think some of just the ways of working, you know, I'd say a lot of people who work in underwriting roles have probably never heard of agile development, mm. which is absolutely understandable because it's not relevant to their day-to-day underwriting role. But should they want to in the future develop some sort of app or, or um, platform for working better with their clients, be that brokers or end clients, that is the sort of thing that actually gives them that language and that jargon to speak to people yeah. either internally or third-party providers and vendors, um, which gives sort of a common language. So firstly, I think it's a language thing that like really helps because you know I've been to meetings where I remember going to a meeting with Ed Gaze actually right when he started at the lab and Ed's much more technical than I am. He's like an engineer by background and an accountant and various other things, can do a bit of coding. And Ed and I sat down with a startup and they were talking about building something. And he said, oh, is that .NET or Java? And I was like, what, is one better than the other? Like, what does that even mean? So you thought I think having that sort of, Yeah, I was like, yeah, Java, yeah, great. Yeah, it's got <laughs> um, so that was, you know, so that's one thing that I think is really powerful is having that language, that like common language with these companies. Yeah. Um, secondly, it's kind of understanding the art of the possible. So, mm. you know, the access to data that some of these companies have can be mind-blowing in some instances. You don't even necessarily know that these data sets exist kind of publicly and that you can get hold of them. Um, And thirdly, I think it's that sort of culture thing of like ways of working. How can you work more effectively um, with technology or to become more digital? Actually learning from people who've done it firsthand, who do these sort of like sprints and they are making like iterative progress um, rather than kind of really long-term change programs. I think that's incredibly powerful. Um, and with the, so um, earlier this year, Lloyd's announced that they would be embarking on sort of a transformation program, which is called the Future at Lloyd's. And in October, they released the Blueprint One, which is available online for anyone to read. And one of the things I think is really interesting in that in the first couple of pages, they point to culture and people um, being one of the important things that Blueprint One will be exploring. And it talks about the need to attract, and retain and develop talented people. And it also talks about um, having a different mix of talent with greater emphasis on things like data and analytics. And I just think that this is exactly kind of where these insurtechs um, could enable some of that dialogue. Um, and also highlight what kind of talent we might need in the future. So I think that's actually really powerful, but I do think that we struggle to kind of articulate that power um, and because it can't be measured in sort of business metrics. Yeah. Um, like you're going to have, you know, 20 million more premium because of this. Um, it is really hard to kind of um, convince people that that's a really valid reason for being involved in the lab. Absolutely. And I kind of, if we zoom out then from that, so what, I know you're involved in some work around, like say the future of work and uh, like uh, potential skills development over the next couple of years. Uh, what are what are the specific things that you're seeing with that or what are the conversations you're having around that? So, um, so just to give a bit of um, context, 
my colleague Esther Williams works in the claims team at the Lloyds Market Association and in earlier in Q1 this year um, her team released a report in conjunction with PwC on specific uh, specifically like the claims workforce of the future and that was a piece of work that they've been looking at since 2018 and what I really like about what we did there was that we've made it really um, uh, ongoing. So we released the report and they're still working with the claims community to kind of address where their skills gaps are. And PwC are helping them to come up with kind of a skills audit. So as um, organizations, you can look at your claims team and analyze where you think those gaps might be and then know really how to address them. And what I also really like is that it's giving kind of really quite specific ideas um, as to how they can kind of advance some of those skills that they might need for the future. So traditionally, claims people, um, because they're dealing with kind of like legal disputes, etc., would have maybe done secondments and, and still do do secondments to law firms. Hmm. But one of the things that um, we're exploring is actually should, should claims people be being seconded into more sort of retail-focused organizations where you're dealing with a customer more directly? So that's kind of one of the things that's come out of that report. And then separately, but completely complementary, the London Market Group, which is the overarching body that sits above the Lloyd's Market Association, the International Underwriters Association, which is the company market, and LIBA, which is the Brokers Association, they uh, did a piece of work also looking at the future of skills in the London market with KPMG, again in Q1 this year, beginning of Q2. And what was really interesting about that report is it really focused on sort of underwriters and brokers. But when they referred to those things, they meant underwriting firms and broking firms. But a lot of feedback that I've had from peers in the market, I'm also involved in this thing called DXE Digital Minds, which was started by DXE, which is a technology company. And it has about a cohort of roughly 100 people who go through on an annual basis to look at um, what skills are required for the future. So that people may be sort of not 10 years into their career and they're looking at skills required for the future and they're also coming up with sort of um, problem statements or solutions and ideas that they think could be applicable to the market so working in teams and there have been lots of things that have come up from sort of jargon busting in insurance because you know so many acronyms we start in the industry you're kind of trying to google things furiously and you're like you know if you google the LMA it comes up with loan market association and you're like What's, what's the one in Lloyd's then? You know, that kind of thing. So um, they're trying to sort of develop an app, for example, for new joiners to be able to kind of look up some of these insurance terms. Yeah. So that's a really fantastic group of people because they're all really keen to kind of explore what's possible. And some of those people then pointed out after um, the LMG and LMA reports that if they work in a functional role, so they work in business development, for example, or they're an actuary, what do those reports um, speak to in terms of their skills? Because they read it as underwriting broking claims. And they're like, well, hang on, I don't fit into one of those. Naturally, although I work for an underwriting company. Um, and also what I would say is that some of the um, results could almost point to any industry who's kind of grappling, you know, all industries at the moment are grappling with, do we need more data people? Do we need more digital people? Do we need more technical people? Mm. Um, and so I think um, one of the things we're really looking at at the LMA is to try and make it as relevant and real life to people working in the market. So what could you, Connor, as an individual be doing yeah. to kind of go and explore what else is out there that might be relevant to your team? 
Um, so we're running a conference in Q1 2020, um, bringing in speakers from kind of the wider insurance market, not necessarily Lloyd's and um, people such as Mike Bracken, who's behind the government digital service. He also happens to sit on the franchise board of Lloyd's as a non-exec director um, who just have a completely different take on what kind of um, multidisciplinary teams you might need for the future as well. So at the moment, um, insurance operates in you know quite distinct silos um, and even underwriting and claims kind of operate completely independently except when they need to come together on a specific claim um, so we're really trying to explore those sorts of things that are like a bit more nebulous you know like when you say in the you know in the blueprint one for example it it mentions um, variations on the word innovation 64 times but what does that mean you know do you need to have innovation in your job title to be able to do that yeah um, how can you be innovative in your role? How can you be creative? What kind of collaboration should you be encouraging and fostering in your organization? So those are the sorts of things that we're trying to look at. That again, that sort of softer skill side, but those things, those skills that are like absolutely vital and also applicable to so many different roles. Um, so yeah. Absolutely. So lots to, lots to consider. Because I know something I... Uh, so I've been an underwriter mainly for the last uh, 10 yeah. years. And even if I yeah. say I wanted to go upscale, do a, a course, um, you know, you can do like a year long course or something in a, in a university. Yeah. You, well, which, which faculty do you go to? You know, there's, there's yeah. bits of business, there's bits of technology, there's bits of, you know, maybe creative writing or something. Um, yeah. but which is, which is actually the most uh, applicable to the underwriters of the future. You know, they probably all are Very in much. some respect. But it's just trying yeah, to figure also, out, there's no insurance section, you know. No, no, exactly. And also, you know, I'd be interested in your views in terms of, you know, if you work in a team, you know, you don't necessarily, as an individual, need to have access to all those skills. skills. Yeah. But you could go and say, well, I want to do the business one and my teammate can go and do the marketing one or whatever it is that you think is relevant to your business. And then you have kind of that that variety of people you can call on for different things because, you know, that somebody once said to me at my old team, actually, because I used to get really, really upset that I just didn't have, or I felt that I didn't have very good like financial acumen. Mm. And it used to really, really upset me. And one of my colleagues was just br- brilliant at us. And he, you know, is an accountant by background, um, works with sort of financial models all day, very comfortable in Excel. And I just, you know, just think to myself, God, I'm so rubbish at this all the time. And I said this to a colleague once who also, you know, wasn't, you know, um, who, who sort of probably had similar skills gaps to me, but she you know, had a, a legal background. So she was really strong in that. Mm. And she said to me, this is the whole point in working in a team, you know, Peter, like there's different people with different skills and then that's all complementary. Um, you don't need to be able to do every single thing because yeah, there's somebody absolutely. who can build the model for you, but you can do the verbal side of it or whatever it is. Um, and I thought that was yeah, a really good point. Um, so, yeah, I don't know what your thoughts are, but I do think like there is so much out there. It's hard to kind of pinpoint. And like you say, it's not, there's not a lot of insurance specific stuff. Mm. Um, yeah. Just identify uh, outside, outside of my insurance exams, which are, I found extremely valuable, um, yeah. probably the most valuable training I've been on is actually have been, has been around uh, teamwork and leadership um, yeah. because that has had the most tangible outcomes uh, business wise, because, you know, you work better as a team. Like it just, you work better with each other. You get more, you work better with your customers. You get better results. And that's probably, and then, but again, that's kind of softer stuff, you know? Uh, so it is harder to, to quantify the initial impact. Yeah. It's only kind of having seen how much it impacted the teams that I've been on 
and even just in how impacted how much it's impacted how I've worked. You know, I've I changed the way I work and interact with people because of those courses. But it's um, yeah, there's no like piece of paper that says it. You know, it's just kind of something yeah. innate. You know, or it becomes innate eventually. It- Exactly. And I think that's so valuable. But like you say, you know, yeah, you might find it difficult to kind of do the return on investment kind of metrics around it. But actually, it's just kind of the day to day results that you see from having had that experience. Yeah. Which then also makes you changes in other people as well, which is, which is, uh, and seeing how your team changes, individuals change. And then, um, yeah, that's also really satisfying. Yeah, very much. And and actually, just also on, on courses, I think it's really interesting. There's two people, I went to a talk. I'll try not to digress too much, but I went to talk last year. It was probably some sort of insure tech conference. And one of the people who was sat on the um, panel is um, a guy who works at Chesterfield, which is a sort of smallish, medium-sized broker. And he's probably, I don't know, I mean, he'll probably listen to this and he'll be like, I'm not in my 50s. I don't know. But, I, you know, I think he's maybe sort of in his 50s. And he was just great at saying that he went to um, Oxford Said to do a fintech course i think that that's what it um is titled as and he met somebody called george Beatty, who works at willis um who was also on that course um and george is in his 30s and it was just so um brilliant to hear somebody say like that was just so eye-opening for him and he's taken a lot of those concepts um back to chesterfield and trying to sort of encourage the rest of the leadership team to kind of work slightly differently mm-hmm. um and similarly george had that experience and has taken that back to the team that he leads at willis which i think is a product recall um, breaking team but it's just kind of when you have those experiences to take in from like different um disciplines or different industries that can have so much benefit to your business um but you need to kind of be open to going to explore what's out there in order to bring it back yeah just um, be willing to be wrong yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly um Cool. Well, one of the things you mentioned um, before our call was the product innovation facility, um, which is, well, it's it's in the works a while, but it's uh, it's relatively new. Uh, can you tell me yeah. a little bit about that and how it relates to InsureTech? Sure. Yes. So, um, as you mentioned, the product innovation facility was launched this year, and it's got over a hundred million of uh, underwriting capacity from I think something like more than 25 managing agents. So that's pretty good statistics considering there's only 54 in here. Mm. So it's impressive the amount, uh, the level of interest that it's um, already had from the market to be like participants in it. Um, And it's designed to speed up um, reinsurance and insurance product development for for today's new as well as emerging risks. And really it operates as a kind of, almost like a sandbox um, for, you know, trying to sort of steal a term from um, like the tech sort of nice. world um, is, you know, it's a safe space for underwriters to sort of experiment with new ideas in a really controlled way. Um, and it's got sort of appropriate oversight, but kind of not stifling that innovation element. So it, the, the group of underwriters um, who form the product innovation facility have worked really closely with Lloyd's, um, particularly the performance management team, to kind of get everybody comfortable with what it is that they're trying to do. And it is really kind of that sort of trial and error um, uh, kind of concept, because some of these risks may never have been written in Lloyd's before. And also it might be a product that kind of is designed in a different way, to designed to like respond differently. So... 
you know, for example, like a parametric trigger or something like that, that then means that they'll, you know, um, the uh, facility will automatically pay a claim. So stuff is kind of a bit um, exploratory. But also what they're doing with InsureTech is trying to help particularly the sort of um, managing general agents, so MGA InsureTech community, who are looking for more capacity. So a really good example um, from this cohort of Lloyd's Lab is that um, one of the InsureTechs who've come in flood flash were looking specifically for more capacity and they were then introduced to the product innovation facility since coming into the lab. And they've now worked really closely with the product innovation facility to try and up their capacity. And they're sort of working with a really engaged community. I think what the benefit is, is those people who are part of the facility are already saying we have capacity that we want to align with innovative product solutions. Mm. Um, how can we do that? So I think that it's really like that matchmaking thing is really aligned because the interests of the incumbents are aligned with the insure tech. Um, so that's a real benefit of it. And something else just occurred to me and it's now just gone completely out my head. Oh, and also um, one of the other benefits kind of um, not as a result of the product innovation or possibly as a result of the product innovation facility is that the product innovation facilities say that they want to work really closely with the broken community because ultimately whilst we can design products over here in order to get it out to clients, we need to work really closely with our broker partners to do that. So, um, Flood Flash were actually in the lab yesterday demonstrating what they can do to an audience of brokers. So I think that's really good as well. It's like really working with the whole ecosystem. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we've really covered a lot. And it's kind of, it's nice how each of the topics that we covered kind of, uh, has a kind of a strand together. Uh, and that, that strand being of innovation, traveling at Deloitte's labs, future work. And then with the Flood Flash having come from Lloyd's labs, which is absolutely fantastic. Um, Do you have any final parting words before we hit the road? So, uh, yeah, just really um, kind of around that sort of future skills development. I think there's so many really, really talented people in the insurance industry kind of globally and, you know, in Lloyd's. And I think, you know, I just would love the LMA to in any way possible, like enable those people to kind of realize um, some of the, um, possibilities out there that they just might not be aware of and we've discussed a lot around sort of even you know kind of things like innovation training like how do you teach or not teach but how do you do a workshop with people to help them learn um, kind of ideation skills and actually you know like what we always sort of joke about is that it's not actually difficult to come up with ideas the um, trick is executing well on those so yeah just anything we can do in that space um, how can people get in touch or find out more so we have a website, lmaloids.com, and there's a specific innovation section to that website. It lists, um, I worked with a really brilliant graduate on the Lloyds Corporation grad scheme called Christian on designing um, an innovation universe in infographic, because what we kind of were finding was that there's loads of stuff going on, but it all sort of sits on different web pages. And there's also all these different people whose names you might hear, but then you don't know how to kind of find them. So what we've done is just create this graph, this infographic, which is interactive. You can hover over a bubble. It tells you the person who's behind it, as well as maybe further information that can be found on a web page. So, for example, 
Um, PPL is an electronic trading platform which is used in Lloyd's. You can hover over that bubble. It'll take you to a PPL-specific web page and tell you the best point of contact if you want to speak to somebody on it. So that's a really good place for people to go to kind of contact a wealth of people um, in the sort of innovation data in short tech space. Great. Well, we'll make sure we link to that in the notes. Um, so, yeah, thanks very much, Peter. Thanks so much, Connor. Thanks. Cool.